Uh, I've got a couple of announcements. Uh, Registration for a new session uh, of the Secret Sisters Prayer Fellowship will begin next Sunday. Um, There's uh, a letter explaining all the details on on the table out there. Uh, the adult uh, dinner night out on January 14th, uh, which is a week from Monday or Tuesday, week from Tuesday, will be at the retreat in Liverpool. If you've never eaten there, very nice. Please join us. There's a sign-up sheet out there as well. Uh, we are going to have a church work bee uh, on Saturday, January 18th uh, at 9 a.m., uh, we're gonna we're gonna just get together and do a few things around here. If you can make it, we'd love to have you. Um, and let's see, prophecy conference January 24th and 25th, which is a Friday to Saturday this year. So it's a little it's a little easier for 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 those of you who have jobs um, that maybe might be a little easier for you to break away. It used to be right in the middle of the week. The prophecy conference and the pastors conferences were were right in the middle of the of the work week, but they they've kind of moved it towards the towards the end. Um, probably a good one to attend. You know what I mean? I, it's funny because I remember when we first joined up with Calvary Chapel and I was in my early 20s, me and Nikki were just first married. Um, and, you know, all the old guys, you know what I mean? All the old preachers and it's just like, no way we're going another year. <laughs> you know, no way. And I'd be like, oh boy, here goes the old people again. And uh, the older I get, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and people think you're a wacko too. It's like, you know, they're going to nuke us. Good. I hope they send it to my house. I want out of here. I want to go home, man. I'm ready to go. See? <laughs> People are like, yeah, okay, but I'm a bit of a wacko. Um, but uh, the prophecy conferences are always, always instructive and encouraging, uh, and it's a great reminder. It's a great reminder. What, what, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know, it's like every time something happens politically in our country now, it's like, Chicken little, the sky is falling. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, and the, and the, uh, the, the oh my gosh, just, it's amazing the, the rift in our, in our country and stuff like that. We've got to remember, Christians, it's not our fight. It's not our fight. You know, have your convictions based on, based on the, 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 your principles and, and most importantly, the principles of God's word and the spirit living inside of you and vote based on that. You have the freedom to do so. Men and women have fought and died for that freedom for us and God has granted it to us. And we should exercise that and exercise all the rights that you have as an American, but understand that your true citizenship lies in heaven. James says it best, our life is but a mist. Appears for a moment and then it vanishes. You know, he says all this talking and plan making. This is my paraphrase, right? All this talking and plan making. We're going to go here, we're going to do this. He's like, really? You're a mist, man. You're a mist. You're here for a moment and then poof, it's gone. Instead, we ought to be walking around going, whatever the Lord wills, whatever the Lord wills. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm going to try. Here's what I'm going to step out in. But whatever the Lord wills. You know, you know if, you're, if you're dependent on God's will by how you react when he says no. <laughs> right? When the door slams in your face or you trip and fall on razor wire. You know what I mean? And, and you get all mad and upset. And it's just like, well, wait a second then. If that's the case, if I'm freaking out like that, then I'm not living in the context, my life in the context of whatever God's will is. Whatever God's will is, man. He's got you, right? He, he did not save you and bring you into the kingdom and bring you into the family to then be like, yeah, all right, well, whatever. Get on about your, you know, whatever. I don't want to be bothered with you. He's got a plan for your life. He really does have a plan for your life. And, and, and how much of, uh, of, of his plan for your life does, do we have just 
free will or life just happening to us? Is, is it a big pen? Is it a small pen? I don't know the answers to that. All I know is I trust in him completely for every aspect of my life. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. Uh, because I'm surrender, I, want, I'm, I want to be surrendered to, I'm partially <laughs> surrendered to his will. I want to be fully and completely surrendered to his will. So no matter what happens, we don't have to despair, man. We don't have to get all freaked out like the rest of the world who have no hope. That's prefaced like that. We don't act like the rest of the world, and we don't freak out like the rest of the world who have no hope. My hope is not in anything happening on this terrestrial ball, man. I mean, it's it. My hope is in something way better than this. Way, way, way better. Can't wait to get there. So anyway, Prophecy Conference. Uh, and we're talking about uh, doing possibly a marriage retreat um, February uh, 28th and 29th. Uh, we're just we're talking about it. We're praying about it. If you would pray about it as well, and, and if it's something you'd be interested in, let pastor our pastor know. Okay, there's, we do have a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Okay, there it is. There it is. And this is it here. Okay. All right. We are in Numbers, chapter 4. Numbers, chapter 4. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would uh, instruct us and teach us and train us this morning. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, whatever it is that you would, you would have to say to us, Lord, as we study your word, Lord, believing that it's living and active. Uh, Lord, and, and that uh, it can penetrate into our hearts and, and, and judge our thoughts and intentions, Father, and uh, it can cut away, Father, excess, or it can add to what's already there, Lord, according to your will, and we pray that you would have free reign to mold us and to make us today uh, as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Numbers chapter 4, then, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Now, now of course, last week we're talking about, uh, the last two weeks we've been talking about God instructing Moses to number the children of Israel, to get a number from all the twelve tribes or all the eleven tribes of Israel, the the numbering was to be the people, the men who were of the age of warfare. Uh, with the Levites, it was a little different. The Levites were counted from uh, a month old uh, up to um, uh, what was it, fifty? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> well, who was the Levites? Hold on, let's go back. You're going to go over it? Well, hold on a second. So make sure, cause let's read it beforehand because we're Brians, and maybe he's going to deceive us in the second service. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it coming from that one. <laughs> um, let's see. And da, 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 da. All right, I'm sorry. I'm, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, all the firstborn males, Okay. Uh, of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names uh, and you shall take the Levites uh, uh, for me, I am the Lord, instead of the firstborn of the children. Okay, I was thinking something completely different. Forgive me. Let's just get into the word, shall we? Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil, uh, the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. 
Then they shall put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. On the table of showbread, uh, they shall spread a blue cloth and put on it uh, the dishes, the pans, the bowls, and the pitchers for pouring, and the showbread shall be on it. And they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. And they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, and all its oil vessels uh, with which they service it. Then they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with a covering of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. Also they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall put on it all its implements, with which they minister there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So, Last couple chapters, God is having Moses number the children of Israel uh, according to their tribes, and now he specifically is honing in, he's zeroing in on the Levites, the tribe of Levites. They're completely different. They were set aside by God to do the work of ministry, to do the work of priests, to do the work about the tabernacle. We talked a little bit about that last week, that they were chosen by God partially because of that time when the golden calf uh, was erected by Aaron in the wilderness when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he went down to find them in all this idolatry. And then, oh, you got, you got the Bible app on, don't you? That's the King James Version. We're in the new King James. <laughs> King James Version, you can listen to the audio. The new King James, there's no audio. And that's helpful for me because I would do the same thing every Sunday. I accidentally hit the play button. And you guys know this? By the way, free information, I love this Bible app. The Bible app's amazing. You can put it in your car and hook it up to your stereo and listen to the Bible read to you, uh, while, you while you go down the road. And that guy's got an awesome voice. I love that guy's voice. Anyway, so the children of Israel have been numbered, and then the Levites have been taken and separated and put aside partially because of that golden calf incident where, remember, uh, Moses said, whoever's on the side of the Lord, come to me. And he drew a line in the sand, the Levites came across, and they were willing to take up swords even against their own family members to defend the sanctity of the worship of Almighty God. And that's part of the reason, or maybe the main reason, why God chose the Levites to be his vessels, to be his people, to be used in the service of the tabernacle and later in the temple. And so now we're getting into specifically within the tribe of Levi, who is responsible for what? Now Moses and Aaron are of the family of Kohath. They are Kohathites as well, okay? And so the, the duties of carrying the implements of the tabernacle, of the direct worship of the children of Israel, whether it was the ark or the table of showbread, or the altar of incense, or the lampstand, or the altar brazen uh, lavers, and the altar of sacrifice. All of these things were to be carried by Moses and Aaron's family, the, the family of the Kohathites. 
And within that, there is specific and strict details. And it's interesting to me how specific God is and always how he's bringing us back to the same point of remembrance that everything that was to be done was to be done specifically. He was extremely detailed and specific in how he was to be worshipped and in how the articles of the tabernacle were to be treated, were to be cared for, were to be handled. And there was an, there was an understanding that he, was, he wanted them to have, even within the family of Kohath, he wanted them to understand that just because you are given this great this great honor of being the very ones to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the very ones to carry the menorah, to carry the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and all of these things, I don't want you to get familiar. I don't want you to take it for granted. I don't want you to get to thinking at any specific point in time in your life that you can just walk in to the holy place and touch these things. I am a holy God, and yes, I've chosen you as my children, and yes, I've further chosen you to serve me in this very special way, but that doesn't mean that you have any kind of special standing with me outside of worshiping me in the prescribed way that I am commanding you. And he's very careful about that. And he's like, make sure you remind them of this and make sure they understand this lest they think that they can go in and just pack up, it's just a table of showbread, uh, what's the big deal? And lay their hands on it and die. God is being very specific here. First of all, I always think when I'm reading, glad I'm under grace. I'm glad I'm not under the old covenant. I'm so glad I'm under the new covenant. But yet that lesson remains, that understanding that we are to worship our God and go about his business and our service to him sober-minded and vigilant. Sober-minded and vigilant. Just like, you know, it's so easy to be, ah, just like, I'm a, I'm a laid-back kind of guy, whatever, 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 whatever. When it comes to worshiping God and when it comes to serving God, I should be very sober-minded about it. I should be very diligent about it. And understand, it's a serious thing. It is a serious thing. It's an important thing. Whatever it is that God's called you to do in your life, it's very, very serious. It's very, very important. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you, know, you have a Kohathite-type job in the, in the kingdom or whether you're just one of the rank-and-file children of Israel. It doesn't make you any less called, and it doesn't make your ministry any less important than any other aspect of what anyone else is doing in the kingdom. You can only do what God has called and chosen you to do, and you will be judged and you will be rewarded based on your diligence to do what you're called to do. That's the parable of the talents, isn't it? The parable of the talents. So one guy got one talent, the one guy got five talents. You know what I mean? The five-guy talent, he went up to the five-guy talent, I'm giving you five talents. Well, that makes sense. I have it. Okay. And then the one-guy talent, he went to him and said, here's your one talent. <laughs> All right? Here's my one talent. Okay. Here's my one talent. And remember... The guy with the one talent, maybe he was a man of, uh, 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 maybe he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? Maybe he wasn't the brightest bulb in the pack. And he looked at this one talent, and remember what he said, I knew that you were a harsh master, and I was afraid of you, so I just took the talent and I went and buried it. And remember what the Lord said to him. The Lord said to that, he said, you're a wicked servant. It doesn't matter that I only gave you one talent. I expected you to invest it. I expect, at least you could have put it in the bank and earned interest on it, he said to him. And he said, take the talent away from him and give it to the five-talent guy. 
Well, gee, poor one-talent guy. There's no poor one-talent guy. Any of us who have been called and put into the service of the king, it's a responsibility that we ought to take very, very seriously. And how we handle the word of God. You want to talk about the ark. You want to talk about the table. You want to talk about the altar. This is what God has given us. And he's given it to us in a way that we can touch it and handle it and throw it on the shelf and have five different versions and some with pictures and, so, you know, and all these other things. It's such a blessing that we have it. But don't ever forget what this is. Don't ever uh, 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 underestimate the power of the message that's within this book and the responsibility that we have to correctly... Remember, study that you show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're called to do. And so we stand upon the word and we don't ever, we don't ever uh, compromise the word of God. It, the, the Bible never changes. The Bible is what it is. And no matter what our culture says, no matter what our society says, no matter what's going on within the churches around us and the, and the cool churches and the big churches and all that stuff, if they're doing right, if they're following the word of God, awesome. We want to be a part of that party. But, and if they're not, it should make no difference. You know, Dad read, read that historical book about the rise of, of, the, of the Nazis within Nazi Germany. And, 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 the, and the one guy was saying, you know, he, there, there was a responsibility there. There is no just, well, I, you know, I, there was nothing I could do. And if I said I would just be, t- blah, 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 blah. They had a, you had a re- there's a, come a point in time when you're standing in the face and you're presented with a, with, a, with a clear-cut decision to choose good or evil or to stand on the side of right or wrong. We have a responsibility to stand on the side of right. We have a responsibility to stand on the side of right. And no matter how many people are in our camp, or outside of our camp, should make no difference whatsoever. We do what's right, based on God's word, and we do it with love. And we do it with love, not with malice, not with venom, not angry because these jerks don't get it. (laughs) With love in our heart, just the way Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ hammered the hypocrites, but was kind to the sinners. And we ought to be the same way. Uh, so God making it very, very clear here, okay, this great honor, this great privilege that the Kohathites have, and yet, and yet, remember, remember, only two, well, four at a time are allowed to go in and handle these, these things. That's Moses, that's Aaron, and that's Aaron's sons for the priesthood. These are the only ones allowed to actually go in and touch these things before, and they're the ones that are wrapping them up. I like how the Ark of the Covenant is taken and it's wrapped in that veil. The very veil that divided the holy place where the, the altar and the table and the menorah were from the most holy place where the ark was within the tabernacle, that very veil was taken and wrapped around the ark of the covenant. And then you see, as we went down through here, all of these things are wrapped in blue and wrapped in the veil and, wrapped, and then wrapped in what? Badger skins. And I think it's a twofold thing here that God is showing us through how the articles of the tabernacle are handled and dealt with and transported how they're carried out to the world, how they're carried from place to place. I love it. First of all, they're hidden things. The glory of God, these things had to be covered. These things had to be, these things had to be covered over. Just the way they were in, when they're in the tabernacle, when the tabernacle is set up, nobody from the camp, nobody from any of the camps around the tabernacle could look at the ark and could look at these things. They couldn't peer into the whole place. And it was to be that way throughout. Wherever the ark was going, it was to be covered. 
It was secret hidden things. There was a protective layer around it. Kind of like when Moses said to God, well, let me see your face. And God said to Moses, nobody can see my face and live. So he said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. You know, and you, can, you, and you can see my goodness and you can see my kindness. I'm going to let you see the things, but you can't see my face, Moses, because nobody can see my face and die because you're a human being, because you're a sinful man, because you're not glorified. There's a separation that was there, especially in the old covenant. Uh, and I always joke around and make jokes. You know, if you could go back in a time machine as a born again Christian, could you touch the Ark of the Covenant? You know what I mean? Doug Fuller says no, by the way. He tells me I'd be smoked dead as a deader than a doornail. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't know. But, but you, you wonder about that. I wonder about stupid stuff like that. But it was covered. It was treated with this great respect. And I love how there are all these implements, all these articles of the worship, the connection between man and God, the things that were directly given to man by which he could communicate and have relationship with God were covered, and then they were covered in badger skins. They were covered in these badger skins. And it just reminds me of Jesus Christ. Again, all these things being a reflection of Christ and a reflection of who he is. All of the glory of God, all of the worship, all of the divinity of God wrapped in the skin of a man. Wrapped in the skin of a man and sent out amongst the people. I love that. I love that picture there. Uh, But all of these things taken very, very, very careful uh, uh, concern to make sure that they were covered and that they were treated with the proper respect uh, and the proper care. Only, only Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons were to wrap these things, to handle these things. And then only the Kohathites. But of course, uh, in verse 15, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of the meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. Now, verse 16, the appointed duty of Eliezer the son of Aaron the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, that would be for the altar of incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. But do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his task. But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. Again, the careful care uh, given to the treating of the articles of the tabernacle. And notice, uh, to Aaron is given this responsibility, Aaron and his sons, they're the ones that to were appoint which one was responsible for which exact, which, which exact service uh, in, in the moving of the tabernacle and the duty of worship. Uh, Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, these are his responsibilities. He is responsible for the oil for the light, that would be for the menorah, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, he was, he was responsible for that grain, for handling that grain. The anointing oil, that would be for putting people into the service of ministry. The oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Wow. 
You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine being that person where God gives, gives Moses his word, God gives Moses these laws, and be careful, take heed, be careful, tell them, be careful, lest they die, lest they die, lest they die. Eleazar, you're in charge of... Uh, <laughs> Eleazar, huh, what? You know what I mean? Wow. Can you imagine, can you imagine the fear, the holy fear uh, that he would have had in his heart and the diligence that he would have taken in making sure that these things were all taken care of correctly? Now, verse 21, uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, by their families from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old. You shall number them all who enter to perform the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, the, tab- uh, the covering of badger skins that is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and altar and their cords, all the furnishings for their service and all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Aaron and his son shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint to them all their tasks as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duty shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest." So now here's Gershon of also uh, the tribe of Levi. And this family to this, to this group within that tribe is given the responsibility for carrying all of the coverings for the tabernacle of meeting, all the, t- all the coverings that were given. And I like how um, Moses, it, verse 23, God tells Moses, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. And I think it's interesting uh, because this is a physical job that they were given to do. Transporting, transporting these things, everything. You've got to remember, there was no, you know, there was no like Walmart, Ikea, you know what I mean? People, they don't make things the way they used to. You know, just talking about when, when the, when the, when the, when the uh, Ark of the Covenant is being built and you look at the amount of gold and the wood and all of these things, the, 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 what was it? I can't remember. I, we, we talked about this when we went through it, but the, the Ark of the Covenant was like 600 pounds or something like that. You know, and the way that it had to be handled and carried. And can you imagine all of those skins for the, to cover the, cover the whole tabernacle and all those things, and all those things to be taken care of. You know, this is like manual labor. This is like these are the, the blue-collar priests, right? Uh, and it's interesting how it's from the age of 30 to 50 that they're numbered to do this work of, work of the ministry. And in my, my, my mind, I see it both ways. 30 years old, because that's when you start to know something. No offense to you youngsters, right? You'll, you, when you get there, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it totally, totally makes sense. See, when you're 20, you, you, th- you, you think you know everything, right? And then when you get to be 30, that's when you start to realize, I, I, I really don't know anything. And mom and dad were right about most things, right? That's, that's when that starts to happen. It's interesting. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a process that takes place, I think, in every person's life as they grow up where God chisels away and humbles. God chisels away and humbles, man. It's a great thing as a believer walking with Jesus Christ when he shows you how much you need him. When he shows you how great your need is. When he shows you how far you fall short of his glory. And it's a wonderful thing because it does two things. First of all, it keeps you in step. 
It makes you want to be in lockstep with the Spirit because you realize as soon as I step out of the Spirit, as soon as I step out of fellowship with the Father, I'm in big trouble. Every time the devil makes mincemeat of me. Every single time. And the second thing that happens when God shows you what a jerk you are is, man, it helps you to have grace towards other people. It helps you to have grace towards other people. I feel bad for every single person I tried to minister to in my 20s. I feel bad. I hammered people. I mean, I hammered people. You're probably not saved. What do you mean? You don't even know the word. Well, I mean, I would, I, and I thought I was doing God's work. I was doing God's work. What really was going on is I thought I was awesome. I was awesome. I mean, don't you know? The calling? I mean, you know, like, the, the, don't you? I, mean, I really thought I was awesome. Keep it all under wraps and all this stuff. And then God, I, when I left this place and, and started a ministry out in Tully, like Jonah with the vine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Jonah with the vine, like, yeah, I got some shade out here in Tully. And then God sent some worms, you know, to kill my vine. And I found myself all alone, and, and I thought I was going to, I thought for sure. You know, when you get off the Tully exit, the Burger King's there, and there's that empty lot across, that's where my church was going to be. There were like 8 million people that went there. And when you got off, you could get a burger, and then we would have a drive through where you could get a tape. Because everyone wants to hear my, a tape of me preaching while they're eating a, a Whopper. Surely they won't throw up listening to me while they're eating their Whopper, right? I mean, I really, I had this stuff in my mind. And God was so diligent and careful to show me how much I'm capable of, <laughs> how far my gifts will take me. Oh, I'm so special. I'm so special, right? He, let the, he sent the worms in, man. Sent the worms and took it all away where I was like, done. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to be... And my poor wife, she's like, what do you mean you're done? You're done. We're not, you're still following. No, I'm not done with God. I'm not done with Jesus. I'm still a believer. That's never going to change. I'm done with them. <laughs> That's who I'm... I'm done with the people. I'm done with ministry. I'm done with it. I can't... I, I have no desire whatsoever to deal with people's crap, right? I won't do it ever again. I just, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And that was God's process in showing me clearly a picture of myself, myself, and explaining to me through his spirit, who are you doing this for anyway, kid? Who are you doing this for? Because if you're doing it for me and my service, have you read my book? It doesn't matter how people treat you. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people do. It only matters how you serve me. It's a one-way relationship. You're serving me, and I'm using you as I see fit in whatever capacity that is. And man, he showed me how filthy and unclean my heart was, even in my ministry, even in what I was attempting to do for God. I'm so inadequate. All of my best is just not good enough. And it allowed me to begin to be able to look at people and see just people who need help. Just people who need to be told. And it's like when you do animal rescues. You ever watch the animal rescues? You know, they're rescuing a lion. The lion's sick. You've got to catch the lion. You've got to tranquilize it and all this stuff. They get bitten and you get cut and you get thing. They turn on you sometimes. Sometimes you get mauled. You know what I mean? But, but you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because I'm not doing it for anybody other than Jesus Christ. Man, if you, if you are never going to last in ministry if you're doing it for people. I mean, I love you guys. We're so fortunate to have such nice people that go to our church. 
But if I just did it for you guys, as wonderful as you are, I, I couldn't do this forever, man. I couldn't do this forever. You're still just people, right? You hang out with me long enough, it's just like, yeah, that's okay, we're good. <laughs> you know? Jesus is where it's at. Just being in his presence, and what can I do? Go get that. Okay, that's cool. Let's do that. You know? It doesn't, then it doesn't matter. Now, when you get to be that age, you start to understand some things. And I also love where 50 years old, they don't have to do that labor anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a retirement age. And it was 50. That's awesome. You know what my retirement age is going to be? <laughs> 120. 120. That's someone have enough to retire. <laughs> and when I'm 120, I figured it out, right? It's never going to happen. So what do you think the guys after 50 were doing? What do you think they were doing in the ministry? You think they just like, okay, that's it for you. Go back to your tent. You're done for the rest of your life. What do you think they're doing? Apprenticeship, man. Apprenticeship, man. Helping these youngsters. Helping these young bucks. I can't figure out how does this work. How does this work? Oh, let me show you. Let me show you how to do that. It's so useful. Like when, so, and this is the same thing as in marriage, isn't it, guys? And this is why God compares the things of the kingdom to the things of marriage and stuff like that. If you are living your life and if you're doing marriage for your spouse... Sorry, uh, going to work out too well. You're going to have some issues, man. But if every way that you love your wife or your husband, the things that you do for your wife and your husband are because, and they're filtered through the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. And I can sum up every marital counseling session you could ever be involved with or be around ever for the rest of history and life. Here's what it is. Both parties in a marriage relationship need to seek the face of Jesus Christ every day before they talk to their husband, before they talk to their wife. And you deal with your husband and you deal with your wife not because they're worthy, not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, but because he called you to be together, you're in his ministry in your marriage, and it's for him. It's for him. Revolutionizes, changes everything. Suddenly, I love my wife for a completely different reason than I loved her when I was 20, when I was 25. You know what I'm saying? You know the deal, guys. <laughs> what you expect. <laughs> you know the way that you think of it, but what you want, you think your wife ought to be and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, my house should basically be like the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, hear, I show up as Hugh Hefter with my robe and my pipe. You know what I mean? What a jerk, right? And, and then you start to understand through the lens of Jesus Christ that your wife is not an object and your wife is not an employee. Your wife is a treasure. Your wife is diamonds and rubies and gold and that you're to look at her the way Christ looks at the church. That parable of him finding the treasure in the field and selling everything that he had to purchase the field so that he could have the treasure. And that's what our wives are. That's what our wives are. Ladies, sorry, you know. <laughs> no, but for the ladies, for the wives in here, as you look to Jesus Christ and as you seek his face, as you seek his face, when you do the things that God has, has, has instructed you to do as a wife in the scriptures and how you're to allow your husband to lead your home, you understand, it's not like there's no iron fist, there's no I'm the boss applesauce, 
There's none of that stuff. There's none of that. It's simply just the way that God had the Kohathites do a certain job and the Gershonites do a certain job. He's called husbands to do a certain job and wives to do a certain job. You ain't doing it for him, you poor thing. You're doing everything that you do is unto the Lord for Jesus Christ. And every marriage counseling session ever is, should be somebody trying to explain to a couple that both of them should be doing that. And if you can seek Jesus Christ and then serve your wife through that lens, and if you can seek Jesus Christ and then serve your husband through that lens, you're going to be fine. Your marriage is going to be fine. Suddenly, what were we fighting about? What were we arguing about? Ooh. It might, that might have been selfish. Possible. It's not probable, but it's possible. That might have been selfish. That might not have been Jesus Christ speaking through me to my wife that time. It changes everything. And that's how God wanted these men to serve in the tabernacle, 30 to 50. And what do you think the older guys are doing? Man, apprenticeship classes, man. They were helping these youngsters along. That's the way it should be in the church, too. Uh, that's it, right? That's, 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 all my, that's all my verses for today. That's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you so much, uh, Father, for, for speaking to our hearts, Lord, through even the book of Numbers, Lord, and um, seeing how you dealt with your, with your children, Lord, in the wilderness, uh, Lord, in their worship of you, Father, and we want to glean from that, uh, Lord, how we might better serve you and how we ought to see you, Lord, in our walk and in our faith um, and in our fellowship with you, Lord, and in our fellowship with one another, Lord, that we would see you as, as being the reason, Lord, and preeminent for everything that we do, Lord. Uh, and our focus would never be on uh, the situation, the circumstances, or people, Father, but on you. Uh, always, Lord. There's, there's no uh, pride or arrogance. There's no um, self-serving heart, Lord, um, that, that can be used in your kingdom. Uh, Lord, we have to be humble and we have to be contrite, uh, Lord, and we have to consider others' needs before our own, Lord. All the things that your Son taught us, uh, showing us, Father, that, that to be a part of this kingdom of priests, to be this, this holy nation for you, Father, um, we need to lay down ourselves. Uh, Lord, we need to put ourselves aside and, and just do exactly what you tell us to do, Father. We trust and believe in you, Lord, that you're going to bless us. Uh, Lord, that our hearts are going to be filled with your presence, with the joy of the Lord. And, um, thanksgiving and gladness, Lord, will be our song. And a longing for the soon return of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, will be uh, our daily hope, uh, Father, if we get our eyes on you. Uh, so we pray that you would help us to do that, Lord. Remind us, Lord, again and again and again as you're so gracious and merciful to do, Father. And continue to remind us to seek your face, to seek your face, to seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.